0: Listening to another episode of Lords of Limited with your hosts Ben Worney and Ethan Sachs.
1: Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Worney and joining me on the line is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, how was your Thanksgiving?
0: My Thanksgiving was great, man. Uh, it was my first time taking the reins of the old turkey and, and hosting. Uh, I had my parents and in-laws and brother-in-law over and it was great. Only like one minor kitchen freak out and it wasn't even mine, so I'd call the dinner a success. What a grown-up. What a grown-up, yeah. Well, you know, doing all things grown up in my life, playing lots of magic and cooking turkeys. <laughs> uh, how about you? You uh you had a really exciting weekend. Oh my lord, yeah. We went to uh, Philadelphia
1: and New York with the band over Thanksgiving break, so we hopped on a two coach buses on Tuesday after school, drove all night to Philadelphia and toured Philadelphia during the day. And then on Thursday, we marched in the Philadelphia Dunkin' Donuts Thanksgiving Day Parade, which was really awesome, uh, super cool. And then we drove on over to New York, and we did some sightseeing in New York for a few days. Um, so we saw like the Statue of Liberty, we went on top of the Rockefeller Center, like all the touristy-type things. And we did a bunch of other sweet stuff, too. Uh, my highlight of the trip
0: was probably seeing Wicked. It was, it was so good. That's awesome. I think someone who I went to school with is playing Glinda in that right now. Oh man, they were, if
1: it's your friend, the the people that played Glinda and Elphaba were phenomenal. They were so good. Not surprised.
0: Was that your first time in New York?
1: It was my first time in New York, yeah. I was, (laughs) you lived there, didn't you? I did, yeah. I was overwhelming. Like, at first, at first when we got there, I was thinking there's zero chance I could ever live, like, somewhere that big. Uh And then like after seeing Wicked, I would really started to think like, you know, I I have a master's degree in clarinet performance and I used to play a lot more than I do now. Like Mm -hmm. every once in a while I sub with an orchestra or something. But I think if I like was playing in a pit orchestra as part of a show like that or like had a regular
0: like thing playing clarinet, I think I could live in a city like that and do something like that. I think it would be pretty awesome. And the thing is, like most people are not living in Midtown, like in like the the Times Square area. Like, you know, I lived uh, about a 45 minute train ride away from there so you know it's a a big place to live in and most of the places that are not that are really really nice there's like tons of really wonderful neighborhoods it was it was just incredible (laughs) it was so huge (laughs) and wait most importantly how was the shake shack burger oh yeah
1: i texted you for recommendations and uh you were like you got to try the shake shack burger it was it was good it was right up my alley it was awesome milkshake cheese fries double cheeseburger It was great
0: great I'm so happy. Did you have any time for any drafts?
1: I did. I I made I made, I made myself even more tired during the <laughs> trip because uh, I felt like I I needed to have something to contribute to the podcast. So I jammed an IMA draft uh, a couple of the nights, and I skyped in with my brothers for uh, Friday after Thanksgiving. They we skyped and did an Excel
0: draft together over Skype, which was super fun. Oh, cool. So what's uh, what's your trophy update?
1: Yeah, I'm at uh, still at three trophies. I've cooled down uh, in IMA. Uh, mm. Still at three trophies, I've done eight drafts. I've done five more drafts, and my overall record now is 18-6, and six, so I have a 75% win rate. Uh, so I 2 won 5 times, and I won 2 would once.
0: What a scrub. He doesn't have an undefeated record anymore. I know. <laughs> oh my god.
1: How about you? What's going on with you?
0: Uh, I have five trophies. I had a little airport heater uh, while I was waiting for my flight from las vegas back to pittsburgh so i'm up to 30 drafts now 59 and 31 66 win rate mostly hanging out in two ones purgatory which is not the best but at least it's not one two purgatory
1: but you crushed some you crushed some big names during your airport drafts right i
0: did crush some big names so i i texted you that i was gonna do for the first time ever a sky draft because i was like you know i like you know this flight it was paid for for me to go to vegas for this rehearsal and I was like, I'll I'll splurge for the eight bucks for the Wi-Fi and, and try and do a, a draft. Everyone always talks about sky drafting. Sounds so fun. Um, and I ended up playing Kenji on his uh, impromptu 24 hour stream when he cracked a thousand subs and played him from, you know, however many thousands of feet above and to him. you know, just like a nice. It, yeah. So that was a a good feeling, especially after my internet scrubbed me out of the streamer showdown the day before. So that was a bummer. Yeah. So uh, as our faithful listeners will know, we started a Patreon a few weeks ago, which is a very exciting way for listeners to give back to the show for some cool perks and a, a way to support the show monetarily if you so desire. The show will always be free, but it's a nice uh, little uh, boost for us and a way for us to give back to you even more in terms of some bonuses. So we have some some new patrons to shout out this week. So we wanted to thank Joey, Adam, Sally, and Nick for all joining the lords of limited patreon we really really appreciate your support um we'll be getting out to you copies of show notes uh access to the discord channel and even a little behind the scenes audio preview for those of you who are at that uh warrior of limited status so we really really appreciate your support um it means so so much to us yeah it's really cool really really cool and uh, another pretty exciting thing happened just this afternoon, Ben.
1: Oh my god, that was awesome! I opened my phone on the so I was on, I was on the uh, tour bus, the coach bus, when I read this tweet, and I, I opened my phone and I was like, "Yes!" out loud, and the kids <laughs> were all like, "Wait, what? What happened?" <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's great.
1: Uh, we, uh, not we, Generation D twenty crossed off our last uh, achievement for the XLN treasure hunt. So he did the the Sanguine Sacrament Infinite Loop.
0: Yeah. Those screenshots were amazing. It was like I was like, wait, what happened? It's like his hand is full of seven cards. He's at fourteen life. And then the next screenshot, he's at forty-eight life. I was like, Oh, I see. I see what you did. Um so eighteen hour stream confirmed. Ben and I will be doing uh the full eighteen hours because of all of you unlocking Various treasures and it, throughout this hunt, and we'll set that up sometime over uh, the holiday season for Vintage Cube being out. I think that's going to be super sweet.
1: Yeah, I am looking forward to it. It's going to be great. But for
0: now, we are still in uh, the three weeks of Iconic Masters Bliss, and I would love to invite you to take a seat at the round table to check out a draft with me, Ben. Yeah, let's do it. All right. So the cards in consideration out of our first pack here are. Draconic Roar, uh, 1 in a red for an instant. Uh, As an additional cost to cast it, you can reveal a dragon card from your hand, and it deals 3 damage to a creature, and if you have a dragon in play or if you reveal the dragon, it also deals 3 damage to that creature's controller. Free Freeblade, perhaps not seeing the glory that it once did uh, when it was reigning common champ in Magic Origins, but that's a uh, 1 and a white for a 2-2 human soldier with Vigilance, and it has Renown 1, so when it deals damage to a creature, if it's not renowned, it gets a plus one plus one counter on it and becomes renowned.
1: Damage damage to a player,
0: right? Ba- damage to a player, thank you, yes, I meant to specify that if I didn't. Two of the Bounce Lands from Ravnica, we have the green-blue and the blue-black, Simic Growth Chamber and Demir Aqueduct and a big boy kakusho the evening star that's 4 black black for the 5 5 legendary dragon spirit creature it has flying and when it dies each opponent loses 5 life and you gain life equal to the life lost this way
1: yeah i mean those are all solid options i would i would pretty immediately rule out draconic roar and topen freeblade topen freeblade i think is the worst of the cards you named it's, yeah it's under performed pretty drastically i think because even when it gets renowned it's only got three toughness or three yeah. power i mean rather and that's still not enough to punch through walls like doorkeeper and vent sentinel which i think are a pretty important part of the format
0: yeah or wall of roots or overgrown battlement i mean like yeah yeah there's
1: know. just so many walls running around mm-hmm. and draconic roar for the same reason only does three damage and a lot of those walls have four and or five toughness so while it's a good efficient uh, removal spell I think it's a little less good in this format than when it, than it would be in a different format
0: yeah for sure
1: bounce lands obviously great uh but I think Kakusho takes the cake here and and is the pick
0: I think so too I was trying to think if there was any uncommon like would you take fireball over Kakusho?
1: I would take swords to plowshoes over Kakusho. interesting I think it's I think it's a big flyer with a great mm-hmm. ability but I think there's enough big flyers that it's fairly replaceable I mean it's an above average finisher yeah. But I think Swords to Plowshares is pretty unique in the format and super, super good. Yeah, that's fair. That's the one that comes to mind first. I'm sure yeah. I'm sure there are other uncommons I would take over it too,
0: actually. But you would be on it here over the bounce lands? I think so, yeah. Great. Uh that is what I settled on as well. So move on to pack one pick two Uh, cards in consideration i think surprisingly we're going to include survival cash here that's a two and a white for the sorcery you gain two life then if you have more life than an opponent you draw a card and it has rebound so you exile it uh, upon its resolution the first time it's cast and then you get to cast it again on your upkeep for no mana cost to you Uh, We've got a Mind Stone, two colorless mana for an artifact that taps for a generic mana. You can also pay one and tap it to sacrifice it to draw a card. Uh, Another Draconic Roar, we have a Doorkeeper, card we'll be talking about a lot today. One and a blue for an 0-4 Homunculus Defender, and has two and a blue tap target player uh, Mills X cards from the top of their library, where X is the number of defenders you control. Crown Saratok, three and a green for the 4-3 Trample Rhino. That has each creature you control with a plus one counter on it has trample, so sort of a, a a mini payoff for the counter synergies decks. And Monastery Swift Spear, one red for a one two haste with prowess, and Azorius Charm, uh white blue for an instant, you choose one of three things. Creatures you control gain lifelink until end of turn, draw a card, or put target attacking or blocking creature on top of its owner's library.
1: Yeah, so there's a lot of similarly powered cards here. Mm-hmm. I'm so happy you included survival and cash. Cash, that card, that card's my boy. Yeah, but I don't think it's the pick here. It's it you. They go fairly late. Um, mm-hmm. And I, there's I think there's a certain number of them you want. So certainly don't need to pick it this highly. I don't think. Mindstone's great. Uh, but I've not been finding myself taking the Mana Rocks quite as highly as I would in Cube or things like that. I think they're a little less good in this format. Yeah. Uh, Draconic Roar, same reasons we mentioned earlier. So that k- kind of reigns it down to Doorkeeper, Saratok, Swift Sphere, and Azorius Charm. And those all go in very different decks. Like the Swift Spear wants to be in an aggro tempo deck. The Saratok mm-hmm. wants to be in a plus one, plus one counter deck. And Azorius Charm, while maybe the most... that's not even the most powerful card here. I just think Doorkeeper is the best card. It's so flexible and it goes very well with Kokoshu, And it lets you pivot off of that into any other deck um, it's just it's just the best and most flexible card in the pack i think
0: yeah super flexible i think it's important to note and i think this influenced my decision i took doorkeeper as well is that there is a jace's phantasm and a shriek geist in the first pack and those are two of the commons that we'll be talking about later today that i think are worth tracking for the blue black mill deck so i was taking doorkeeper as a as well as for what you said that it's a super powerful card in the pack but also that That, paired with Kakusho is going to lead me down a blue-black route, and what blue-black wants to do is mill and have cards that have mill payoffs, and the commons like Jace's Phantasm and Shriekgeist, I think, fit that bill very nicely, and you really want to track them when you open them and see if they come around, because there's not a lot of wiggle room in terms of uh, how many people can be vying for those cards. Um, So I snapped up the Doorkeeper here as well. Move on to pack one pick three. Uh, Cards in consideration are Seeker of the Way, one white for the 2-2 Human Warrior with Prowess, and whenever you cast a non-creature spell, it gains lifelink until end of turn. Um, Still sort of the bread and butter of both aggro decks with white in them and uh, life gain matters decks. We've also got another Crown Saratok. That's the green Trampler. Uh, Blinding Mage, one and a white for the 1-2 that can tap a creature for a single white mana amass the components, three and a blue for a sorcery, draw 3, then put a card from your hand on the bottom of your library. And I think that's probably it. Any other cards in this pack you think worth mentioning?
1: No, I think that I think that covers it. The the three that stand out to me uh are Seeker of the Way, Blinding Mage and Amass the Components. Mm-hmm. Deciding between Blinding Mage and Seeker of the Way, I I tend to pick Seeker of the Way higher than Blinding Mage, it's pretty close here. Blinding Mage probably goes better in a deck with Kokusho because it's more defensive and you're going to want to get to the late game mm-hmm. uh, in a deck like that. Uh, but I think for me, a mass edges out both of those white cards. It goes along with the Doorkeeper very well that you already picked and has just been a card that's impressed me a ton in the format. If you get to the point in the game where you've got enough mana to be casting in a mass without much pressure on you, it's
0: probably going to win you the game. Someone in my Twitch chat, maybe a little less than a week ago, was telling me about the important, like was trying to hammer home the importance of Bounce Lands to me and one of the things that they highlighted was how good Amass the Components and Tormenting Voice become with Bounce Lands.
1: Yeah, because you get to pitch excess lands.
0: Yeah, like you get to pitch a land with a mass. you get to like pitch a land that you don't need because you have played a Bounce Land with Tormenting Voice, like, uh, and that, I mean, not, I already sort of knew how powerful Amass the Components was, but now I really look at Tormenting Voice in a much different light when you've got Bounce Lands as well. But so I, I really agree with you that it's such a super pow- powerful card. So that's what you'd be on right here. I think so, yeah. I grabbed Blinding Mage. I think I was trying to, like, maybe keep still in sort of, like, pick three mode, trying to keep my options the most open. Because I think Amass the Components plus Doorkeeper is very good. But if I'm just looking at, like, pack one, pick one out of this pack, I think Blinding Mage sort of leads me down various paths uh, effectively. I've been less impressed with Seeker of the Way than I thought I would be, just because I don't think white has a terribly aggressive bent. I've not been super crazy about the white red or white blue aggro decks, and so I basically think that seeker of the way really slots into the life gain deck nicely, but I don't want to pigeonhole myself there. So I, I just grabbed blinding mage and sort of thought, "Oh, that could go with the doorkeeper, that could go with the kakusho, maybe I just go full esper, who knows."
1: Oh, that's interesting. I've been yeah. super impressed with seeker the way. Like I've had the complete opposite experience. Oh, really? Yeah, I think that's one of the cards that makes like white red and white blue aggro playable because that plus that plus the guided strike is so good it lets you punch through the walls I just think
0: white red is so bad oh yeah that. I don't
1: think it's great but I think seeker the way is good in that I don't know that's interesting yeah
0: yeah I mean I, I guess like yeah, it can be, it's good in the white-red deck, I guess, but the white-red deck is bad, in my opinion.
1: Yes, I, I agree. It's not It's yeah. not a great deck. No, certainly not a Tier 1 deck.
0: So you would grab a Mass. I the Blinding Mage. Uh, we'll move on to Pack 1 Pick 4. We've got a Star Compass, uh, 2 colorless for an artifact. It enters the battlefield tapped, and it can tap to add 1 mana of any color that a basic land you control could p- produce. Uh, repeal, X and a blue for an instant. Return target non-land permanent with converted mana cost X and to its owner's hand, and you draw a card. Reeve Soul, one and a black for sorcery, destroy target creature with power three or less. Evolving Wilds, that's the land that taps to sacrifice and find a basic land from your deck, put it into play tapped, and then you shuffle your library. Another Blinding Mage, another Amass the Components, a Windfall, which is two and a blue, for each player discards his or her hand, then draws cards equal to the greatest number of cards a player discarded this way. And a blue-black Bounce Land, demir Aqueduct.
1: Yeah, so there's several cards that are like very good here. Yeah, there's a lot of powerful options here. I think the most powerful of them are Reefsoul, Amass, Windfall, and Demir Aqueduct. I'm currently on a Windfall kick, so I would be really <laughs> tempted to take Windfall here. Mm-hmm. And I think it's super powerful, and I think it's abusable in the format like just with a really good blue red aggro deck oh, yeah i think that deck really wants windfall uh you were telling me earlier today uh that you saw lsv play against like a windfall suspend, suspend deck
0: deck it was crazy but like i hadn't even considered that as a possible interaction that like oh that's how you get cards out of your hand just like suspend suspend pitch the other cards like draw two it's so good
1: yeah i, I do think windfall is abusable in the format but it's it's like pretty Do you hit or miss it this highly no i don't think so uh yeah. but i would be tempted to <laughs> <laughs> uh but i think the the clear standout is demure aqueduct to me the the crew lands are great you've already got a black card you know you want to play it, you've got a blue card that you could splash in doorkeeper mm-hmm. uh if you really wanted to and splashing a mass the components is great in the format i think yeah It's super splashable and super powerful so demure aqueduct just opens up so many options and only takes up a slot in your deck so i think that's probably the correct pick there
0: yeah uh, i also grabbed the uh, aqueduct there but i was i was pretty tempted by a number of other options and sort of bummed to take that and then pass like good white black and blue cards out of this pack that felt felt bad for sure but what can you do um, so the rest of the draft was pretty interesting. I mean, we took a Sarah Angel next, a Bounce Land after that, some blue counters, or some black counters cards, and then noticed that the mill cards out of the first pack didn't wheel. So that sort of clued me into blue probably not panning out and sort of like went on a best card out of each pack kick, opened up a pretty unexciting pack two and grabbed a Scourge of Valkis, which is a big like, mono near mono red dragon payoff card um it's a 4-4 flyer that when it enters the battlefield deals x damage to target creature or player where x is the number of dragons you control so pretty bad pick for us with our like random esper smatterings
1: but the pack was just blank right there was nothing the Pack was pretty
0: blank and kakusha's a dragon so who knows maybe we pivot into red black like i didn't feel sort of married to anything after pack one And then got past Vorinclex, which is the green Mythic Praetor, the 7-6 Trampler that doubles the mana that you produce and has your opponent's land stay tapped for a turn when they use them. And then ended up actually picking up on a pretty strong green signal, like taking that Vorinclex second uh, led to a bunch of other green cards that pack and ended up with a a pretty decent Black-Green Counters Matters deck with a Corpse Jack Menace and, and things like that. So, you know, not necessarily where I thought... Uh, We were going to end up from the first five picks, but that's how the the draft crumbled.
1: Yeah, and I think that's one of the great things about this format that's refreshing after playing Ixalan. Like, Ixalan is, like, pretty much two-color pair or, like, multi-color Dirtle deck like we talked about. Uh And here you're free to pivot and bob and weave between the two-color decks because there's so much... Like, you don't have to lock in early on a two-color deck because there's so much overlap and synergy
0: between the various color pairs. And different things you can be like, oh, I'm blue-red, so I'm blue-red walls. No, I'm blue-red spells. Or, oh, I'm white-black counters. No, I'm white-black life gain. Like, you can, there's many different things that color pairs are doing in this format where, like you said, like in Ixalan, it's like, no, you're you're white-black, you're vampires. And if you're not, you're probably doing it wrong. Yep. So what do we got on tap for today, Ben?
1: We have a pretty sweet episode. We're going to talk about the top eight edges that you can gain in IMA draft based on what we've learned so far from jamming our almost 40 drafts between the two of us which yeah. the lions share <laughs> you did but yes hey uh,
0: since I'm on team lords of limited I'm gonna take take some credit for our team but you have you have almost built the half of the trophies we have so uh I think you nothing to sneeze at with your Three trophies and eight draft record.
1: Yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna take you through uh, just eight thoughts here that can really help you uh, gain an edge in your next draft. Um, and we're gonna count down from eight to one. So I'm gonna go ahead and take us through our first one here. Uh, number eight, we've got watch out for onboard tricks and ways to punt because of unfamiliar cards. So there's a lot of tricky cards in this set. Have you have you made any mistakes yet?
0: You know, I'm sure I have, but most of my issues have been with. Uh either my internet dying in las vegas or in an airplane so i I, i'm not sure but i think i I think i probably have have you oh yeah most most of this list is stuff i've done already (laughs) (laughs) that's amazing
1: yeah uh and i still have a high win rate so yeah not getting punished (laughs) these are these are lunches not punts lunches yes uh and so for anybody that doesn't watch uh (laughs) Anybody that doesn't watch our streams, lunches is like a mini mistake. Like, doesn't necessarily cost you a game, but certainly not playing optimally.
0: It's like missing a ping with a wall of Forgotten Pharaohs is like that's a lunch like it's not gonna cost you the game it's just like a mistake you shouldn't make
1: which which originated because i was skyping (laughs) i was skyping into your stream and you asked me a question and i had my mouth stuffed full of turkey sandwich and i was like say what
0: (laughs) you talking to me your phrase your phrase is so perfect i think i'll remember it forever you were like oh i'm sorry i'm eating lunch too much (laughs) (laughs) that was great so amazing and thus the lunch was born
1: yeah yeah, so some some cards to watch out here for, and I think once these happen to you once, like they will, you will never make the mistake again, but Benevolent Ancestor, that's two and a white for the 0-4 Defender um, that can tap to prevent a damage to target creature or player. So if you've got stuff that's matched up evenly and they've got a Benevolent Ancestor on their side of the battlefield, it will not trade because they can prevent one damage to the stuff on their side of the battlefield. And also of note, Benevolent Ancestor can block things that are attacking it with four power. So it can block and prevent a damage to itself. So make sure you don't miss out on that one. And it's it's unusual to have, I think, this many cards in a set. Uh, like if you're fairly new to drafting, that are on board tricks. Like I think yeah. wizards just try to move away from that because it just creates feel bad situations,
0: especially on board tricks that are that are, are free. Like I mean, right? That don't yeah, that don't we'll, have a we'll mana a, activation. Exactly. We'll see a few more on this list that are are all just requiring the creature itself to tap rather than pay any sort of mana.
1: Second one on the list here is a Johnny's Pride Mate and Life Gain. So Johnny's Pride Mate is the one in a white for the two two that whenever you gain a life, you could put a plus one plus one counter on it. So you need to watch out if your opponent's got instant speedways that are on the battlefield to gain life. Uh, for example, maybe they've got uh, a bubbling cauldron sitting on their side of the battlefield, and they can sacrifice a creature um, to gain four life with their bubbling cauldron. Next one on the list, Angelica Cord. I've definitely messed this one up. Uh that's the three and a white enchantment that says at the beginning of your end step, if you've gained four life, you get to create a four-four flying angel token. So I what I did, I had two of these in play, and I waited until my opponent's end step to sacrifice my creature with bubbling oh, cauldron no. to gain four life, and I was planning on getting two four-four flying angels, and I did not get two four four flying angels. Um but luckily that combo was busted enough that I was able to recover from my mistake. So if you have Angelic Accord and you're doing that nonsense, make sure you remember to trigger Um, in your second main phase or your opponent's second main phase another one don't forget about rebound spells coming back or cards coming off of suspend so those are going to be in the exile zone so make sure you pop open if you're playing on magic online uh, your opponent's exile zone and try to remember to track when you're doing like combat math and reaching racing situations or things like that Mm -hmm. that you factor all that stuff in it's a lot of information to track that's not like right in front of you on the battlefield yeah Next up is Prodigal Pyromancer. That's two in a red for the 1-1. One, one. Uh, these cards are known as Tims from way back in the day. Oh, yeah. Do you know why they're called Tims? I don't know that. Uh,
0: it's because of Monty Python and the Holy Grail. There's a car- There's like a wizard that they meet, and I think they maybe ask him his name or whatever, and he goes, there are those who call me Tim. That's <laughs> really? Funny. Yeah.
1: I did not know that. All right. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, they can tap to deal one damage to target creature or player. No mana cost. Um, so it has a ping there. Um, assault Formation, that's the green build-around enchantment, uh, that, oh lord, lets, your, lets all your cards deal damage equal to their toughness, and you can pay a single green and have target creature with Defender attack this turn as though it didn't have Defender, and you can pay two and a green to give all of your creatures plus O, plus one until end
0: of turn. There's two things to remember about this card. One is that that plus O, plus one thing, I feel like you get stuck in this mindset of like walls being... The things that this card messes with but it's yes. all your creatures so that yes. assault formation pump the plus, 0, plus one is essentially plus one plus one and it's for your entire team yes that was what i messed up <laughs> yeah and the other thing is that it only affects combat damage so if you've got to hunt the week, don't cast Hunt the Week and have your Wall of Roots fight your opponent's creature. That is not going to end well for you when you've got Assault Formation in play.
1: A lot to keep track of there. Uh, blinding Mage. Uh, just we haven't seen a lot of really good cheap tappers lately. Uh, right. So that's the the one one two uh, single white tapper. Um, They can double tap, like on your end step, they can tap down one of your creatures, and then on their turn, they can tap another creature to tap down two of your blockers. So make sure you're taking that into account, again, in racing situations. And the last one is Infantry Veteran. Uh, That one's, I think, for whatever reason, like easier to keep track of than Benevolent Ancestor, but similar Mm -hmm. that you can tap it to give target attacking creature plus one plus one. Um, So all those things have some tricky activated abilities that you need to make sure you're taking into account uh, when you're playing games of Iconic Masters.
0: There's a lot going on, like, I mean, this, you know, especially with all the rarity downshifting that we're seeing in in these master sets, that you see much more complex cards at common. So it's a lot, lot to keep track of. I can't imagine playing this set in paper. That would be a lot more remembering of triggers and things. You don't just get to pop out your opponent's exile zone, you know? Yeah. Uh, What do we got going on in number seven here? All right. Number seven is... Keeping track of the blue-black aggro mill deck. I think this is one of the best decks in the format, but I believe it can only support one drafter. So as we talked about in the round table, you really want to be tracking the commons for this deck in your first few picks in pack one and seeing if they wheel. And so I'm always keeping in mind, as, as you saw in the round table, like when Shriekgeist and Jace's Phantasm, so Shriekgeist is the one, a blue 1-1 flyer that mills two when it hits your opponent. Jace's Phantasm is the... 1 1 flyer for 1 blue, that is a 5 5 if your opponent has 10 or more cards in their graveyard. There's White of Precinct 6, which is 1 on a black for the 1 1 that gets plus, plus 1 for each creature card in your opponent's graveyard. And then there's Thought Scour, which is the single blue instant draw card and uh, mill 2 on a player. So you can target yourself or target your opponent, but in this deck, you would always be targeting your opponent. So these cards at common, I think, are really the the engines and slash payoffs of the deck, like Shriekgeist and Thoughtscour being consistent engines for getting cards in your opponent's graveyard, and uh, White of Precinct 6 and Jace's Phantasm as the most common ways to reap the benefits of your opponent having lots of cards in their graveyard. I think that there's maybe a tendency... I, I, I sort of think about this like we thought of maybe some people thought of Slitherblade in Amonket drafts. Like, Oh yeah, that's a good analogy. When you see Slitherblade like fifth, like you would keep track of them as you saw them. And then if you saw it like fifth or sixth in pack one, you'd be like, all right, this seems like if I take it here as maybe a hedge and if they wheel in pack one, then I just get all, these two or these three and I sort of stake my claim as the um, Slitherblade drafter and I'm going to get all the rest of them that, are opened in packs two and pack three. Because by that point, people are sort of off of it. And I think that's a similar way to think about this. Like, you track that you saw some of these cards in your first few picks. Around pick six, you see another one. You grab it then, and then if it wheels, great. And if it doesn't, you're off it. Because you cannot compete with someone for this deck. There's, of course, a lot of good payoffs at uncommon and rare, for sure. Like, Glimpse the Unthinkable, the blue-black rare that mills 10 those are are i think reasons to like try and force this deck but if you're just trying to get out from the the common level of cards i think that's the way to approach this deck so it's just another extra thing that you have to track in the draft but i think it's going to really lead to a powerful deck if you are able to find that to be what your seat is supposed to draft
1: yeah, and I don't think the deck needs the uncommons or the rares to be good. I think no. if you're the only one doing
0: this deck and you get all the commons, your deck's going to be great. You you also need to think about, like so it's not just milling, it's cards in the graveyard, period. So think about how your cards are affecting your opponent's cards and things like claustrophobia go way down in value. I think you should just never play claustrophobia in this deck because it's never going to help you get cards in your opponent's graveyard. Whereas I think counter spells go way up because that's at least going to one for one sort like removal get a thing in the graveyard
1: or the, like the wrench mine card that makes them discard two
0: right so like discard is, is also totally fine if, if, if you're trying to do that or, or the haunting him that's the six mana one that can discard four or discard two if you cast it as an instant so yeah th- that's a, i think a way to track that deck and and also reevaluate cards as you find yourself narrowing in on that deck for your seat
1: that Silverblade analogy was great. That's not in our show notes. And I feel like I was struggling with how to draft this deck, and I feel like I know how to draft it now with <laughs> just yes. that analogy. That was great. That's awesome. I love it. Great. I do think Jace's Phantasm, you can pick maybe a little higher than the other cards. Mm-hmm. I think Jace's Phantasm also is a fine finisher in a in a blue control deck because just over the course of the game, like you're going to end up with your cards in your opponent's graveyard, and then mm-hmm. your Jace's Phantasm becomes a 5-5. Five five. And I think it's also the linchpin for the blue black deck, uh, like one of the biggest payoffs. Yeah. Um, So if you can maybe cut those a
0: little bit more than the other cards and then see if the other cards wheel. It's also a fine sideboard card, I think. I've had a few drafts where I've, like, tried to get into this deck and found it not perhaps what my seat was supposed to do. But I've had two in the sideboard. And if you play against a controlling blue deck that's, like, running amass the components or, like, a lot of repeal or card draw stuff, that's so they're voluntarily putting stuff in their graveyard or churning through their deck at a, a fast rate because these... Formats do end up in in sort of grindy control matchups a lot of the time. And Jace's Phantasm is a real easy way to break through that. You're just like, oh, look at this random one mana 5-5 I drew on turn 10 because you've drawn so many cards or whatever. It's a a, a very versatile, powerful card, I think.
1: Yeah. So at number six on our list here, uh, we've got that build-arounds are very real in this set, very good, and should be picked accordingly highly. I think I've not seen a build-around yet that doesn't work and isn't good if you get the payoffs for it and get your deck built around it to take advantage of it for sure so in the in the blue black mill deck we've got glimpse the unthinkable uh, that we just mentioned and we've got blizzard specter at uncommon as the build around there that's two blue black for the two three flyer uh, that when it hits your opponent, you can return a permanent to their hand or make them discard a card. Mm-hmm. So when it does damage to them, you can make them filter graveyard by making them discard. And then kind of like my certainly pet deck in the format, and I think you're you're getting on board as well, oh, uh, the yeah. Defender deck. So we've got some Defender build-arounds here. Doorkeeper, that's one and a blue for the 4 So you can pay two and a blue and mill equal to the number of Defenders you have. Event Sentinel, three and a red for the 2-4 Defender. And you can pay 1 in red and tap to deal damage equal to the number of defenders you control. Assault formation, we just mentioned uh, in our board punting section (laughs) of the the countdown here. That's the enchantment that lets your stuff deal damage equal to their toughness. And overgrown battlements is, what, 3 in a green
0: no just one and a green. one
1: in a green oh my god that card's busted yeah. one one in a green for an 04 that taps equal to the number of defenders you control um so that's kind of the payoff in the blue green defender deck there that that wants to ramp all of these and various flavors of defenders there's defenders in every color except black mm-hmm. so very flexible uh archetype there very different iterations of the defender deck Next on these build rounds, we've got the kind of the plus-one, plus-one counter grouping. That's check Menace, two black-green for the 4-4 that doubles plus-one, plus-one counters put onto your creatures. Abzan Falconer, two and a white for the 2-3 with Outlast, one white that you can tap to put a plus-one, plus-one counter on it. And then all things you have with plus-one, plus-one counters gain flying. That's a great way to finish the games in these plus-one, plus-one counter decks. Because mm-hmm. um, I found a lot of times that deck has trouble punching through. Uh, if the if the the ground gets clogged up. And then right. Abzan Battle Priest, uh, similarly, another Outlast creature, three and a white for the 3-2 with Outlast of a single white, and then uh, gives all your creatures with plus one, plus one counters on them, a Lifelink. Next category here, we've kind of got like some blue-red groupings, uh, Skywise Teachings, although I think this also goes in like, pretty much every deck with <laughs> instants and sorceries, not not restricted to blue-red. Uh, it's three and a blue for the enchantment that lets you, whenever you cast a non-creature spell, pay uh, one and a blue to make a 2-2 Flying Drake, I believe. And then Kiln Fiend, one and a red for the 1-2 that gets plus three, plus O whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell. And Gutter Snipe, two and a red for the 2-2 that lets you deal two damage
0: to your opponent whenever you cast an instant or a sorcery spell.
1: Um, those are all kind of uh, in the Spells matter archetype there and our reasons to draft that blue red deck
0: next up we've got one that i think sort of tracks with the blue black Strategy as well, just in terms of how you want to keep track of the cards. So we've got the Bog Brew Witch, Bubbling Cauldron, Festering Newt uh, triple combo. So Bog Brew Witch is 3 and a black for a 1-3, and you can pay 2 mana and tap it to search your library for a car- card named Bubbling Cauldron or Festering Newt and put it into play tapped. Cauldron is your only sacrifice outlet. That's the 2 mana artifact. You pay 1 to sac a creature, gain 4, or pay 1, sac Festering Newt, and basically drain 4 from your opponent so they lose 4, you gain 4. And then Festering is the 1-mana one 1-1 one, one creature in black that uh, when it dies, you can give a creature minus 1, minus 1 until end of turn. Or if you control Bogbrew Witch, that creature gets minus 4, minus 4 until end of turn instead. So they each sort of, like, get bonuses for having another one in play in sort of, like, a triple fashion. But Bogbrew Witch finds uh, the other two pieces. And the thing about this that I think is important is, again, like, only one person at the, dra- the table can... Basically, piece these things together, and so you can like grab a Bog Brew Witch fifth and be like, Oh, I remember seeing Festering Newt earlier, or Oh, those Festering Newts didn't come around, so I probably shouldn't grab a Bog Brew in pack two. But they is a real, real build around for one drafter at the table for sure.
1: Yeah, also along that same vein in white uh, and black here in the life gain deck, we've got Angelica Chord. Uh, That's three and a white for the enchantment that if you gained four life at the beginning of your end step, uh, as noted in the punting section, (laughs) uh, you make four, uh, you make a four, four flying angel token. And then sanguine bond is three black, black for an enchantment that says uh, whenever you gain life, your opponent loses that much life. Mm -hmm. Um, So kind of both of those are big payoffs and reasons to move into uh, the black white life gain deck i think um and certainly if you see them wheel i think maybe taking note that black white life gain maybe should be where you're supposed to be at and also worth noting that bubbling cauldron combos very well with angelica Cord because it lets you uh, sacrifice a creature to gain life in chunks of four mm-hmm. and then finally we've got uh some rare uncommon dragon payoffs dragon tempest i've had red black dragon deck once and dragon tempest was Pretty impressive in that deck. And I didn't even have a lot of dragon eggs, which I think is where Dragon Tempest really shines. Mm. Um, But Dragon Tempest is one in red for the enchantment that gives all creatures with flying that you control haste when they enter the battlefield. And when you have a dragon enter the battlefield on your side of the table, it deals damage equal to the number of dragon spells uh, or dragon creature types that you control on your side of the battlefield. So if you have two dragons on your side and you cast a third dragon, when that third dragon enters the battlefield you get to deal 3 damage to target creature or player and that gets overwhelming in a hurry if you can if you can go dragon into dragon into dragon yeah so kind of kind of the mentality here is that if you're seeing these cards 4 through 8 pick it's a sign that that archetype or that synergy type deck based around those payoffs is open and you should maybe consider trying to pick them up and move in
0: yeah i think that's a great segue into our number 5 which is is how to read signals and that you need to read signals in this draft format much the same way that we did in ixalan so in our, our beard episode we really outlined like taking cards in the picks one through three that leave you open to multiple archetypes and then in as you just outlined picks four through eight are really where you're going to notice oh anointed deacon is coming here or oh I'm getting a vine shaper mystic or a commena speaker so here I think it's a lot easier because there are more archetypes to pivot into and the commons are so good as we talked about rarity downshifting really happened a lot in this format so you're seeing a lot of powerful cards that maybe were uncommons or rares in previous sets where they were originally printed but now are at the common level so you're going to get the benefits of of those powerful cards uh, and seeing them a lot more often. I think this analogy that you put in the show notes is really apt and is probably very, uh, maybe non-intuitive. But Doorkeeper is like One with the Wind, right? It sort of is its own deck in every color. So if you think about that Doorkeeper is the, the blue defender that cares about defenders. So it's going to match up well in a blue-red deck because there are a lot of defender options there. And remember that Doorkeeper in a, uh, of itself in blue has access to Fog Bank and Mnemonic Wall at Common and Uncommon. And so in red, you have access to, to Vent Sentinel and Dragon Egg. In green, you've got access to the Wall of Roots and Overgrown Battlement and carven and carry and Jungle Barrier. And then white, you've got Benevolent Ancestor. And then in black, you don't have any defenders, but what is blue black trying to do? It's trying to mill your opponent for aggro benefits or for winning benefits. So doorkeeper is going to go into every color pair and going to be able to carve out a niche as a win condition or an an engine in that deck that it's going to be in.
1: Right. So similarly to how one with the wind enabled you to have a good aggro deck that was blue X in every mm-hmm. color pair, Doorkeeper allows you to
0: have a good control deck, I think, in blue X in every color pair. Totally agree. And the synergy among commons, I think, is, is pretty important. You're, you're really, you need to draft a deck. And so you even saw in the round table, I was thinking about like, well, if I, at least in my opinion, which could be wrong, um, but it's my experience was that I found that Seeker of the Way I generally just want to have that in a a white-black deck. And so when I took Blinding Mage over it, I was thinking about how Blinding Mage was pairing up with my previous two picks, Doorkeeper and Kakusho, and how that was going to lead me down a a deck in the future. I wasn't just sort of grabbing random best cards out of the pack, but was really thinking about what's the best card in conjunction with what I've already got. What's that deck going to look like at the end of the 45 cards that I pick? So I think that's a really important mindset to have. Yep, on to number four here
1: which conveniently enough involves the number four i just realized that oh i did that on purpose oh did you oh yeah <laughs> oh and look at you nice <laughs> i i was like late last night at like 2 a.m was making these show notes on our bus ride home from new york and then we were texting about the order that was smooth yeah um yeah so four toughness is our magic number in the format so uh, a lot of times like formats when we talk about a magic number like there's a certain amount of toughness that creatures have that like enables them to block well, or if your creature has like a certain amount of attack power, it'll be able to attack through creatures that have a lot of this amount of toughness. So a lot of the defender cards have four toughness. Um, so pretty important to have a way, if you're an aggro deck, to punch through these defenders, because they're very good and they all go in decks that are very good. So mm-hmm. you've got to have a plan for how you're going to get through these four toughness blockers. And I think it isn't removal in this set because there's a lot of removal spells that typically would be very good that only do three damage. Um, so notably Draconic Roar, one in a red at instant speed, deal three damage to target creature. And then if you control dragon, it does three damage to that creature's controller. And Lightning Helix, the white red gold card that does three damage to target creature player and you gain three life. I think both of those are a little worse uh, than we initially thought because they don't do four damage and four is like the amount of toughness that a lot of creatures have. Mm-hmm. Um, so they don't really help you punch through those walls. So I, rather than do that, I think a lot of the cantripping combat tricks are a good way to do this. Um, so, for example, some ways that you can punch through Seeker the Way plus Guided Strike. That's one of the ways that uh, one of the reasons I like Seeker the Way so much when you guided strike your seeker the way it gives it four power so you gaining four life killing their wall and drawing a card after casting guided strike which is one and a white i think or is mm-hmm. it a single white one and a white one and a white right for plus one plus one first strike to your creature and you draw a card that's a pretty huge swing a bone splitter if i'm playing the defender deck and my opponent plays a bone splitter on their side of the battlefield I am pretty bummed out because I know every single one of their cards is going to be a threat that I'm going to have to deal with um, because they're going to be able to keep re-equipping Bone Splitter and attacking into my defenders. So Bone Splitter is the one mana indestructible equipment that has an equip cost of two and equipped creature gets plus two plus oh. So that really helps get your little aggro dorks
0: punched through the the four toughness walls. I was trying to let you save yourself and not call it Bone Splitter every time, but it is Dark Seal Axe. Oh, it's not Bone Splitter? No, it's Dark Seal Axe. (laughs) Doesn't Bonesplitter do the same thing? It's not indestructible, and it's one mana cheaper to equip. Oh, no. <laughs> but it's fine. I think it's hilarious that you just call it Bone Splitter each time. <laughs> you just, like, got stuck in Meriden land.
1: Yeah, I I don't even know that I knew that those were two different cards. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> All right. Uh, names. Card names are overrated. <laughs> the effect is what's important. Battle Rattle Shaman. Uh, that's three and a red for the 2-2 Goblin Shaman, I believe. Uh, at the beginning of combat on your turn, you can give target creature +2 plus +0. Plus oh, so similar to Darksteel Axe, not Bone Splitter. Yeah. Um, turns all your creatures into threats that must be dealt with by the player that's playing cards with four toughness and hoping to block with them. Uh, Infantry Veteran in multiples, especially that's the single white mana for the one one that can tap to give target attacking creature +1 plus +1. One, plus one, uh, helps things punch through kiln fiend naturally gets plus three plus oh when you cast an instant or sorcery spell so it's attacking as a four two then with your first instant or sorcery um, so they can't block it unless they've got event sentinel over there if they're on the defender deck and I think trumpet blast not great but is another way in a pinch that you can punch through some walls there's a better version of that right what's the white one? Oh yeah
0: great teacher's decree
1: yes the three and a white for the rebound plus two all creatures you control get plus two plus one and then it's got rebound so it happens twice that's yeah, certainly a much better way to do it than trumpet blast when I made this list I I was just looking at common ways i think that's why i left it off
0: there is for some reason fireworks happening and it is registering as sound effect on my thing so let's just wait a second sorry yeehaw pittsburgh Yeehaw, pittsburgh what that i mean did someone win a sports maybe someone won a sports
1: oh i bet that's it the steelers are playing uh the steelers are playing the
0: packers tonight but it's 8 30 do they already play yeah no it's <laughs> oh my god <laughs> it's sunday night football when does that happen at 8 30 <laughs> Oh, so they start. They, they fired up, this is the start of the game. Yeah, it's the start of the game. They must be getting Pittsburgh hyped. Oh, wow, Pittsburgh hyped. <laughs> don't laugh at me about Sunday night football. What a jerk.
1: You live in Pittsburgh and you don't know,
0: oh my lord. That no, I don't know anything about sports. Oh, that's great. <laughs> I do know what Darksteel Axe is, though. You do, you got the important things down. <laughs> All right, next up, we got I think a really good top three lined up here, and I think number three is the biggest surprise, and that is that you can pick mana rocks less high than you are. So there's a lot of them; you can get them later. So as we outlined in our um, crash course, there's four common mana rocks, so that's that that are two drops that either some tap for a, a color that's like Star Compass, but most of them are adding generic mana. But then there's also a bunch at uncommon, so you've got um oh gosh i'm not going to know any of these names but there's the the three mana one that can turn into a dragon Colagon's monument Colagon's monument thank you dark Steel axe uh so there's Colagon's monument <laughs> there's Dynamo. that's the four mana one that taps for three generic mana there's palladium mirror that's the three mana two two that taps for two generic mana there's even the um pristine talisman oh pristine talisman of course and then there's also uh, the thing at, at rare that the three mana one that taps for a generic mana, but also if it's in your opener hand and you want to mulligan, Oh, you can... serum powder. Serum powder. Yeah, there it is. So there's just so many colorless ways to ramp that you don't need to take them as high as you think. And one of the reasons is in our next bit that we'll get to, so I won't spoil that, but... The other thing is that most decks don't want them because most decks that want to be ramping are probably already green anyway, so you've already got access to all the walls that we talked about, Wall of Roots and Overgrown Battlements, you've got access to Search for Tomorrow, which is that rampant growth effect with Suspend, and you've got access to a bunch of Bounce Lands that are going to be allowing you to add more mana to your deck and to your board, not in a sort of ramping sense, but at least in a card advantage sense. They're also just like not really synergistic cards. I mean we have talked about how how these decks are, are working together and, and how like Doorkeeper is gonna fit into different decks in different ways, um, and how synergy is really important among commons in the set. And I don't really know how these mana rocks fit into all that. There's not really a lot of colorless ramp payoffs for you, right? There's no Eldrazi floating around or like sundering titans like there are in Cube, so it's tough to figure out a lot of places to dump mana now there are mana sinks for sure but a lot of those have color requirements um so there is a a one bonus we can think of for sure which is that they combo well with skywise teachings that's the enchantment that makes two two flyers when you uh have a there's the sports fireworks again (laughs) just fire it off sports 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 um so skywise teachings lets you uh, get a 2-2 flyer when you cast a non-creature spell if you pay 1 and a blue. So that lets you turn your mana rocks into at least 2-2 two, two flyers late in the game when you've got mana floating around. But And they also allow you to dump more mana into that because that is a, a mana sink and a, a a place you need extra 2 mana floating around if you want to get the full value to make the 2-2 two, two flyers. But most of the time, I find that there are better things in the pack to pick over these cards, and there are better things in my 45 cards when I'm building my deck than these and they they often are sitting on the sidelines or not at all in my pile. I don't know what your experience has been. Yeah, I
1: I found mana rocks the only deck I really find that I want mana rocks in that I haven't had yet, but I like can conceptualize or theorycraft it uh is like maybe like a blue based control deck that's got like like more of a traditional cube type control deck where you've got yeah. like several amassed the components to draw cards and like you've opened the good rare finishers like maybe you've got a consecrated sphinx or the sphinx of what's it called uthun or something yeah, like sphinx that Sphinx of that lets you factor fiction like so if you're getting lots of these rare payoffs and your deck looks more like an actual cube deck i think that's probably where those mana rocks shine but even then i don't think you need to pick them highly because most decks like like you outlined just just don't really want them like the the green wall-based ways to ramp are just so much better for sure all right so moving on to number two on the list uh you need to be taking lands higher than you probably are, especially the carrier lands. The reason is, and we kind of went over this in the last episode at the end, the carrier lands are a built-in two-for-one at the cost of a tap land entering the battlefield. Um, So with one card, you essentially get two land drops um, when you bounce your land. And then, so like a land plus a carrier land is three land drops. You go turn one land... Turn two, carry Land, return your land, and then turn three, you've got the land that you return to play as your third land drop. They help you mulligan better, uh, because a six-card hand with a carry Land is essentially a seven-card hand, so if you've got one land plus a carry Land, again, you've got three land drops guaranteed in that six-card hand, so it's essentially a seven-card hand. They help you hit land drops in decks that are super mana-hungry, so I've found them to be very important in the Doorkeeper Vent Sentinel decks. Those decks really want a lot of mana, but they don't want to spend card slots like the Mana Rocks uh, to help you get that, that mana. So having the, you know, three or four carrier lands to help you get to six, seven, eight lands uh, is really good to start activating those Doorkeeper Invent Sentinels. They fix you really well. So you should be picking them maybe even if they don't match up with any of the cards you've taken so far. Like we saw you audibled in your in our round table to green in pack two, not having taken like any green cards, right? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, they're just they offer you so much flexibility and power throughout the course of a draft. And certainly even if they're only one of your colors, you're going to play them and you should take them, and they might help you splash off the second color. Maybe you're red-blue, and you take a the blue-green one, and then you get past a Simic Sky Swallower. Boom, you've got a way to splash that Simic Sky Swallower, and it's a card you're going to want to put in your deck. So there's a lot of overlapping synergy in the set, and a lot of those bomb rares that you're going to want to splash, and they definitely help out with that. And then I think you kind of pegged this one. Uh, you want to talk about Horizon Canopy for a little bit?
0: Yeah, so Horizon Canopy is the land that you tap and pay a life to add white or green to your mana pool, and then you can pay one tap sacrifice it to draw a card so it's like a a stone half of a, a, that that half of minestone stone on the card and in non-phantom cues i imagine this isn't a problem because the card is the most expensive card in the set so you're probably just taking it for value but in the phantom cues i see this card go very late when i am certain that it has passed by either a white drafter or a green drafter and they should be taking it there i mean it, right the reason it's so expensive is because it's really really good right and just thinking about having access to a card and yes it's there's a bit of a downside you're going to be paying uh, probably three depending on how early you play this you're going to be spending some amount of life on it to add mana but the value of having a land that can cash in for a card is so so high i mean just think about just back an hour of devastation having the cycling lands at common and how powerful those were to be able to turn late land draws into new fresh cards off the top of your library horizon canopy gives you that opportunity and I, i really think you'd you just need to be grabbing that card basically over everything except bombs if you're in either green or white
1: yep i could not agree more i think evolving wilds is also another pie uh, pick uh, mm-hmm. because
0: a lot of times you know if you're wanting to
1: splash a card we talked about uh, in our last episode that you want three sources uh, for one card so let's say you maybe got two carry lands if you've got an evolving wilds then all of a sudden you can splash a card for free without taking up like land slots of your main colors so you can still have a great mana base and get a splash of card for free a lot of times if you've got one or two evolving wilds and the evolving wilds work well in concert with the carry lands because they let you play a lower land count uh and really take advantage of the fact that the carry lands are a two for one as far as hitting your land drops goes
0: wait how does that work with evolving because evolving wilds can't find the bounce lands can they
1: no but it thins your deck out so you're less likely to draw i mean i guess it's a minimal thing but it lets you like i feel a lot more comfortable playing like 16 lands and two copies of evolving wilds for example for sure like with the carry lands than i would in a format without carrot lands like i would be really hesitant if i had two evolving wilds to play 16 lands because if you have an evolving wilds in your opener like but just two lands that's or taking something,
0: two lands out of your deck your basically. deck
1: and then it like, gets a lot harder to hit your third land drop i think
0: yeah for that's sure. all no, i was that, saying that makes sense just a
1: very small percentage
0: but a percentage that's worth thinking about. I mean, I think I'll just all the lands, the more that you can draft cards that you're playing in your deck, the more value you're going to have. This is again, a, a takeaway you get from playing cube a lot, that taking the, the fetch lands and the dual lands and cube are uh, really high picks because they open you up to a lot of different avenues. And I think the same thing applies here with the bounce lands, rising canopy and evolving wilds for sure. All right, you ready for number one, Ben? Take us home. All right, guys, surprise, surprise in magic. Blue is great. And in this format, especially, it's great because it is both flexible and powerful. So the first point I want to talk about here is uh, something that that you sort of highlighted in our show notes, that blue's commons are super deep. Now, you sort of went through and just made, made lists of the commons you're excited to see out of each color, right? Yeah. And what do those lists look like in terms of like maybe numbers or, or like what what cards does does blue have that pop out at you? so blue first of all blue
1: has more cards than any other list so blue has 13 commons that i think are good in at least one deck in the format um and the highest number any other color got to was nine so white white and red both had nine commons and then Mm -hmm. black i did not realize how bad blacks commons were until i went through and made this list i don't there are only five black commons i'm excited about uh in decks in the format and you've even got
0: ractos drake there which i'm not generally happy
1: i was i was struggling to find yeah. like at least it's got flying i don't know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i was struggling to find cards to give give to black uh and green only ended up with six of them so i uh, just to quickly run through the list of blue commons that are good here amass the components claustrophobia is a removal spell dissolve a counter spell doorkeeper the linchpin of all these defender decks elusive Spellfist is one and a blue for a one three that whenever you cast a non-creature spell it gets plus one plus one unblockable until end of turn that's an all-star in the blue red aggro spells deck jace's phantasm that's the uh, one one that can grow into a five five in the blue black mill deck jesse and thief two and a blue for the one three Whenever it hits your opponent, you draw a card, and it's got a prowess trigger of plus one, plus one. Uh, Just like a very good, efficient creature in blue mana leak another counter spell at two mana mnemonic wall four and a blue for an o4 that lets you rebuy instant or sorcery spells uh there's tons of super powerful instants and sorceries to rebuy with your mnemonic walls it's a defender goes along well in the defender deck repeal just like in cube a very powerful instant uh blue x return target permanent with converted mana cost x to their owner's hand and you draw a card it cantrips itself river wheel Aerialist is a fine finisher uh, if you don't get any of the rare Flying Finishers, that's five and a blue for a 4-5 Flyer with a Prowess Trigger. Uh, shriekgeist. that's kind of another uh, key engine card in that blue-black mill deck. And Thoughtscour, another key engine card in that blue-black mill deck. There's a lot of good playable commons in blue that go into very specific decks that are some of the best decks in the format.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. So Doorkeeper is a card we've talked about is a, the key card for blue. It's a linchpin. It fits into every color pair for blue um, because every color but black has the... The defenders in them and, and blue black is trying to mill. Um, Amass the components and mnemonic wall are also great. They fit into many control archetypes, so you've got really like powerful engines for those decks. I think every color pair with blue is a really strong deck and gives you a lot of flexibility about what that deck is. Like Maybe I haven't had success with it, but I think there is a world where blue-white tempo is good and blue-white control is good. I think blue-black mill aggro is good and blue-black mill control is good. I think there's a blue-green defender deck. Um, There's also a blue-green ramp deck. There's a blue-red aggro spells deck and there's a blue-red walls deck. Like, blue has just so much flexibility in this format among all the color pairs that I think when you're hedging maybe between colors that, that getting into blue is is probably a better choice than not a lot of the time, especially because of, of how flexible it's going to be when it leads you probably the most open than any color is going to lead you.
1: Yeah. And I think we should just want to run down like the decks, at least as far as, and you feel free to disagree, but I kind of grouped decks here into different tiers about like what I've been having the most success with and what's mm-hmm. been beating me, et cetera, et cetera. So I kind of have tier one as the blue black mill deck, blue red aggro spells, blue x control so blue in any other color as a control deck and then v- the various flavors of vent sentinel slash doorkeeper defender decks and black white life gain i know kenji thinks black white life is the best deck in the format
0: yeah i think it's really strong
1: yeah it's very good when it comes together tier two i have green black counters red white aggro blue green ramp and blue white prowess aggro and then in tier three white green counters red black dragons and like the red green x spells although that Red green doesn't even really feel like it's an
0: ex-spell deck to me.
1: It just kind of feels
0: bad. Red green is like, I mean, I think you can have a red green event sentinel wall deck for sure. Yeah, but yeah, but I think but that's tier one then. That's like, tier I think one. you're yeah, in the, the, the,
1: yeah, that's like just the event sentinel plan. I don't think the, that's whatever roshane
0: meander deck, I don't think really exists. Right, I agree. Um, no, I think I agree with that. I think I would probably like, I'm more down on red white aggro and probably higher on red black dragons. Like, I think when that deck comes together, it's probably tier two, but. I think I'm mostly in agreement with that. Yeah. I mean, just blue is king. Surprise, surprise.
1: It really is so good in this format.
0: All right. I think that is a good place to stop. I've got some serious sports ball to go watch, so probably probably need to wrap this episode up.
1: <laughs> Don't want to miss that Steelers game. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. And I think, I haven't talked to him yet because I have not been on the internet because I've been in New York, but I think he got some sweet new patches for uh, the program he uses to mix things. Like, I think he was waiting for a Black Friday deal to buy, like, a bunch of sweet new sounds uh, for GarageBand.
0: Oh, snap. That's awesome. So his music should
1: be better than ever before now.
0: Hot dog. As a reminder, we still have the XLN Treasure treasure Hunt going on, though we have unlocked all the treasures. You can still be eligible to be entered into the giveaway for a draft set of Ixalan, so to do that, you need to get a screenshot of you unlocking a treasure hunt on Magic Online. Send it to us on Twitter or on our email, and if you unlock five of them, you are eligible for that giveaway.
1: Yeah, we've also set an end date for the treasure hunt. December 20th is going to be the cutoff to submit things for the treasure hunt. Um, Also, conveniently,
0: is the day when Vintage Cube comes out. Ooh, baby. So excited for Vintage Cube. Um, If. People want to get in touch with us individually. You can find us on Twitch. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash metronome Please come spam our t- chats. Give us a follow. Give us a subscription. All that is good stuff. On Twitter, you can find us at those same handles, Lord Tupperware and Mr. Metronome. You can also check out my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash C slash Lord Tupperware.
1: If you've got any feedback about the show or questions, feel free to shoot us an email at
0: lordsoflimited at
1: gmail.com.
0: Thank you all so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Yep, thanks everybody. See you later.